This evening, I'm going to read to us from Mark chapter 6, and you'll find that passage in your worship folder, and you'll notice there that uh, Mark chapter 6, I have uh, verses 1 through 30, but I'm actually only going to read through uh, verse 14 or 13 tonight, and we'll pick up with verse uh, 14 next week. So if you'd like to, feel free to follow along. He, that is Jesus, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. We're looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And last week, or two weeks ago actually, we, we finished up in Mark chapter 5. And at the end of Mark chapter 4, all the way through Mark chapter 5, we find a series of episodes that demonstrate the absolute authority and power of Jesus. His power over all of creation, the natural realm, his power over the spiritual realm, his power over our physical bodies and the brokenness and sickness and illness that we experience, and even to the point of his power over death and raising Jairus' daughter from the dead just before the passage that we come to tonight. And here we come to a change in setting. Previously, Jesus has been around the Sea of Galilee and ministering around the city of Capernaum. And now we read that he's gone back to his hometown, which we we know is the town of Nazareth. It's 25 miles to the southwest of Capernaum. And he goes back home. And he finds himself... In the, in the synagogue on a Sabbath day with his disciples. And I want to point out to you, there's a key term in this entire passage that we find in verse 3. And it's the term that we find offense. That the people in his own hometown took offense at Jesus. And it's the, it's the word that is translated from Greek that we get our word scandal. In other words, what... Mark is saying is that 
these people, the people that knew Jesus best, were scandalized by Jesus. They were offended at him. It literally means he was a stumbling block. It means to be put off by or even repelled by Jesus. It's in a word to say that they rejected Jesus. Or to come at it from a slightly different angle, Jesus was offensive to them. He offended them. And the way in which Mark ties together this this occasion in his hometown with the sending out of the twelve highlights for us that this experience isn't unique to Jesus. But in fact, it's, it is the, the experience that anyone who follows Jesus can expect. That Jesus offends people. And those who follow him will do the same. So what I want to do with you is look at this passage to learn from it about what does it mean? why do people get offended by Jesus and in turn reject him. But then also, if this describes the experience that the disciples will have as well as the church ever since then, how should you respond as a follower of Jesus when following him is offensive to others? Or maybe you are offensive for following Jesus and perhaps even experience rejection for doing so. How do you follow him? And then where then, though, do you find the acceptance that you need in order to follow him? Even when it leads to being rejected. So why are people offended by him? How do we follow him? If that will be our experience, too. And then where do you find the acceptance to do that? So first, let's look at why were these people in his very own hometown, why did they reject him? Why were they offended by him? Look with me here in verses 2 and 3. Mark tells us that it was on the Sabbath day, he began to teach, and many were there who heard him, and they were astonished, but not in a good way. They were astonished in the sense that they began to ask these questions. Where did this man get these things? And notice, they didn't say, where did Jesus get these things? They referred to him in a distant, almost condescending way. Where did this man get these things? Who does he think he is? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And notice, all of those questions in verse 2 really highlight what they didn't know about him, what they couldn't figure out. But then in verse 3, these are all questions that highlight what they do believe about him. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Why were they, why were they offended? Why did they reject Jesus? At the heart of it, what we see here is they they were unable to reconcile what they heard and saw with what they believed about him. In other words, what happens here is Jesus is far too human. He's far too ordinary. How could it be that this ordinary guy who we saw grow up 
who has brothers and sisters, who has an address in our hometown, how could this person claim to be the Son of God? How could he actually have more power and authority to proclaim God's word than the rabbis that we know who have spent a lifetime studying God's law? Jesus never did that. He didn't go to rabbinical school. He has no teacher that he comes from. He just showed up and began to preach with authority. Who is this? You see, what's really interesting about this, this isn't the first time that Jesus' hometown, even his own family, begin to be offended at him. In in chapter 3, they actually refer to him as crazy, that he's out of his mind. And here, the reason they are offended is they simply cannot reconcile the possibility that this ordinary man, Jesus of Nazareth, could actually be God in the flesh. That this is how the God of the Old Testament would actually come to win back his people. Not with pomp and circumstance, in great acclaim and power, but an ordinary village carpenter. But notice how does Jesus describe their response in verse 6. He doesn't describe it as offense, but actually as unbelief. And this is an important thing for us to notice, that all unbelief, Any person who finds Jesus offensive actually does believe things about Jesus. That is, they believe things and are unwilling to consider the possibility that those beliefs need to be changed. They need to be realigned according to the ways in which Jesus himself is revealed. The ways in which Jesus comes to us. That Jesus doesn't come to us on our terms. He is his own authority. There is no authority outside of him to which he appeals or to which we can appeal. So we either take Jesus on his own terms or we don't take him at all. And this is the conundrum that his hometown is faced with. And, And this is really significant. Because especially in a passage that talks about the mission of Jesus through his disciples and by extension his church. And where there's a passage here that talks about to be offended by Jesus. There are a lot of things that I think people get offended at about Christianity. And honestly, oftentimes for good reason. But here is the one thing. If you are offended by, you got to deal with. And it's that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. The one thing that you really should be and need to wrestle with if you're offended about by Jesus is that Jesus is God. That's where Christianity begins. If you don't accept that or you find that offensive, that is where you're... You're actually beginning, I think, to hear him. You're actually beginning to grasp what Christianity really is all about. 
But notice that Jesus here, when he, just, he summarizes their, their unbelief, he uses a proverbial statement when he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. That was a common uh, phrase during his day and time. And I think an appropriate uh, version for our day and time would be something like, familiarity breeds contempt. And when, when we were moving down to Birmingham last winter, somebody sent me an article, and I, I don't remember where it was from, but the article described a study about, uh, throughout, I think, the United States, where do people, the most Christian cities or the, the cities that the most number of people read the Bible? Well, Birmingham was number one on the list. Uh, now, whether or not that was a good study or not, we'll leave that aside. But I think it's safe to say, if there's anywhere in our country where we are familiar with Christianity, Birmingham probably rakes pretty high on the list. And we need to hear Jesus here. Are you so familiar with Christianity, the stories of the Bible, that it's become contemptible to you? That it's offensive to you. That the claims that Jesus makes on your life, the ways in which he calls you to live for him, to take up your cross, to die to yourself, to give your life away to your neighbors, to your employer, to your spouse, to your roommates, to your brothers and your sisters... Has it become so familiar that it's lost its edge and even become offensive to you? You see, Jesus here describes that when that happens, Mark tells us he could do no mighty work there except to he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Mark's point here isn't that Jesus somehow all all of a sudden lost all the authority and power that he had in the previous chapters that we read of. But rather what Mark is saying is that where the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom is rejected, it's inappropriate for the king to share its new life and joy. That's a sobering statement. It's a sobering part of this story. You see... Why are people offended by Jesus? How does he offend people? He offends people because he claims to be the Son of God. And at the very same time, he looks just like you and me. That's how God comes to us, as an ordinary human being who is himself God. Now, Jesus' visit to his hometown, if it teaches us that unbelief that we see here from those most familiar with him, it becomes the very context for his mission. He sends out the twelve. If that is the context, and oftentimes that mission leads to offense and even at times rejection, how are we supposed to follow him into that kind of call, into that kind of mission? Look in verses 7 to 13 here. Here we see Jesus, he calls the twelve to himself, and he sends them out, and he gives them authority to further his mission. And 
in verse 30 in chapter 6, as well as back in Mark chapter 3, he also calls them apostles. And I need to tell you that that word apostle is an important word because it helps us to understand the difference between our calling as disciples, followers of Jesus, and the apostles, the 12 that he has called to himself here. An apostle in the first century is very akin to what we call today a power of attorney. So when Jesus calls these 12 to himself and he sends them out, it's as if they are acting, is it where they go and what they say and what they do is as if Jesus was there himself. Which is why in verses 12 and 13, when Mark reports about what they went to do, it's exactly what we read earlier when Mark summarizes Jesus' ministry. Jesus went out to preach. That's why he came. He came, he cast out demons, and he healed sick people. Their ministry looks like that, not because they're somehow superhuman or unique in some unusual way, but it's because Jesus has sent them with his authority. They speak on his behalf. They bring the good news of the kingdom in their ministry. That is not what we do. But what I do want to show you is that there is a fundamental principle that we do share in, and it's that they were his representatives. And everyone who follows Jesus, who names his name, is a representative of him as well. We represent him. And so I want to show you how is it that Jesus, what directions does he give us that we can glean from the directions he gives to his disciples here? And how is it that you follow Jesus? in participating in his mission. And he does it, he gives them basically three directions under two headings. He tells them, he tells them what to take and he tells them where to stay. In the first direction here, look with me in verse 8 and 9. He tells them what to take. He, he says he charges, Mark tells us that he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Now, what's, what's he talking about? Essentially what Mark is saying here is that Jesus charged his disciples to take the bare essentials. In other words, what Jesus is saying to them is, I'm sending you on a very specific, purposeful mission. And I do not want you to take anything that would either distract you from it or lead you to believe that you could somehow do it on your own. I want you to take the bare essentials, and I want you to trust me to take care of you where I send you. Jesus here, he's undoing any self-reliance that we might have as his followers. That instead of depending on our resources or our training or our abilities He's calling them to, d- to depend on him and his authority alone. And they are to go with, they are to be purposeful. They are to be men of purpose. In other words, it's not a sightseeing tour. And why is that? The reason is because they have an urgent message. Jesus began his ministry saying, the good news of the kingdom has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Something Radical has happened. 
God is starting over. God's beginning anew. And it calls you to respond in repentance and faith. And the urgency of that message is no less urgent today than it was during Jesus' ministry. So the first direction he gives them is to take the bare essentials. In other words, we need to trust him. We need to depend on him. We need to rely on him in the way in which we go about representing him. No matter where he takes you, no matter what situations you find yourselves in. But then the second direction, in some ways, balances this. Notice in verse 10. He says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. What's he talking about? As urgent and as deliberate as this mission is supposed to be, it's not supposed to run over people. When Jesus says here, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there, we could put it like this. Be present where you are. Love the people right in front of you. Don't miss the ordinary, everyday situations where you have opportunity to enter into someone else's life and to love them right there. And to represent Jesus, maybe not in words, but in the ways in which you care for them. Maybe it is in words, in the ways in which you notice how they're doing, or you ask them questions, or when when they ask you questions... You're honest. You're honest about what life is really like for you. And you're also honest about where you find hope. Where you find forgiveness. Where you find safety and acceptance. You see, Jesus here is saying, don't just run around without any concern for those right in front of you. But be present where you are and love those right in front of you. And the third direction he gives is in verse 11 when he says, And if in any place that you go, if they will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, this is an unusual saying that I think is lost on us in many ways. When he says, shake off the dust that is on your feet. But in, in that day and time, if you were a Jewish person and, and you left Israel and you walked into another land that was not the land of Israel, it was a pagan nation. When you came back into Israel, it was customary that you would dust off the, the dust off your feet. It was it was a way of of of, of saying essentially, I'm getting rid of the uncleanness of the place where I was from, where I just was. And I'm entering back into this place that is clean, as it were. And it's incredibly significant that Jesus applies that practice to his mission, to God's people. In other words, it's a way of Jesus saying that without him, without accepting this message, you are a stranger to God's promises to his salvation, regardless of where you're from. Jesus, in using this practice of the day, was, through his disciples, communicating, there is simply no neutrality with Jesus. 
to simply say Jesus is not for me is taking a stand. It is rejecting Jesus. And Jesus again and again will not let anyone off the hook. By virtue of him coming and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, it calls for a response. And every one of us has to make that choice. How will you respond to this Jesus? But in giving them this direction, he's also teaching us something. That you need to know when to walk away. And the Apostle Paul here is incredibly helpful in Colossians chapter 4. When he says this, he says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, I, I, I had a friend tell me a really interesting story about how Christians uh, really do think the more opposition that you face, the closer you are to Jesus. That the more upset you make people, the more offended they become, the more obedient you are becoming. And I just simply want to tell you, that's not in the Bible. Jesus here is saying, if people will not listen to you, if they will not receive you, if they will not hear you, you need to have the wisdom and the humility to walk away. And Jesus gives us this direction because the gospel is offensive. And sometimes the best way to allow that offense time to breathe is to let people be offended and to walk away. Which brings us back really to the very beginning when Jesus makes that first direction. We need to trust him. We need to trust him with the relationships that he gives us, wherever he gives, them, gives, us, to, gives us to them. So in short, here's what I want you to see. How are we supposed to follow Jesus when this gospel message, it is offensive? In short, Jesus teaches us that the way to participate in his mission is to depend on him alone. It's to be present and love those right in front of us. And it's to learn to know when to walk away. However, those are not easy to do. And there are many ways to fail at that and to succumb to our own self-reliance or to want to prove that we're right even in the face of an offended friend or neighbor. So how do we do that, though? How do we grow in this? And, and what I want you to see here is that the only way to do this, the only way to participate and follow after Jesus when doing so will often lead to rejection, is you have to be deeply convinced that you are accepted. And that you are accepted not on the basis of how well you do in following him, but that you are accepted on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. Now, where does this acceptance first begin? First, I want you to notice something here. Jesus is fundamentally misunderstood 
by those who you would think would know him the best. He is fundamentally misunderstood again and again in the Bible. He's misunderstood by the religious leaders. He's misunderstood by his own family and everyone in between. Which means you should expect to be misunderstood. I really don't like being misunderstood. It's not fun to be misunderstood. And when you're misunderstood, you often want to circle back around and and clarify and qualify and try to convince and persuade, really, that's not what I meant or that's not what I think. And Jesus, you need to know, you're not alone. To follow Jesus means that you will be misunderstood. But even more than that, not just that we share in that experience with him, but the acceptance that we need, it comes from his cross. That the message of the cross is this, that Jesus, he took the rejection that we deserve so that we might always know the Father's acceptance. You see, it is only this acceptance that is a free gift by grace, by sheer grace, that we can find and receive the confidence we need and also the humility we need at the very same time to follow after him. Even when that means that who we follow and the Savior that we trust is offensive. You see, in other words, what we, we need to be happier than we are. It's only if you are happy enough in the gospel of grace will you be able to reflect Jesus and how you encounter unbelief. And even when that may lead to rejection. Now, remember, we began, I I zeroed in on this key word in in verse 3 of offense. And I did that in order to help apply this passage to our our own lives in a way that I think can deepen our relationship with Jesus and equip us to serve others. But I want to leave you with a question. As much as this passage is about how Jesus offends those that knew him best, What I want to ask you is, have you ever been offended by Jesus? Have you ever been offended by Jesus? Has he ever graded your sensibilities? Has he ever outraged you and angered you? Has he ever baffled you? And what you need to see here is that In reality, in truth, we all need to be offended by Jesus. If you have not ever been offended by him, you do need to ask yourself, do I really understand who this Jesus is? Because everything about the cross of Jesus Christ, it undoes, it leaves no room for our pride. It leaves no room for our resumes. It leaves no room for our abilities and our competence to build our lives or identity on anything other than Him. Have you been offended by Jesus? And this is why this is so important. For two reasons. If you have been offended by Jesus, the reason it's so important is it's necessary to a vital relationship with Him. 
Because the cross means you simply cannot save yourself. But not only does it mean it's, it's necessary for a vital relationship with Him, it's necessary to properly represent Him in the face of unbelief and even rejection. Because when you've been offended by Jesus, you can relate to other people who've been offended by Him too. And when you've been offended by Jesus, when other people are offended, you can relate to that. You can be humble about that because you understand. To believe in Jesus is not an easy thing. It will challenge you and turn your life upside down from top to bottom. That's why we need to be offended by this message of free grace. It's actually the way into serving and loving and following Jesus in his mission. Therefore, we do need to know why is it that people are offended by him. We need to know how to respond when that offense bubbles over and even perhaps leads to being rejected by the people we know. And last, we do need to rest in the acceptance that Jesus gives through his rejection for us. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we wrestle with this passage and the reality that uh, the gospel is offensive and Jesus is offensive, we ask that you would not let us become so familiar with it that it loses its power. That we become so familiar with it that it begins to, to breed contempt. And we begin to not just be offended, but remain offended. Instead, we ask that afresh tonight, you would prick our hearts. You, you would uh, prick our consciences in such a way that we would find Jesus to be offensive unto new life. That we would find him to be our all in all. That the cross would be the worst news and the very best news at this very same time. Father, would you do that for us? For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.